This morning I want to talk to you about, again in our series of baptism, but what I've called the method, how do you do it? And I want to start by looking at um, what is it that baptism is and particularly focusing on what the New Testament says. But before we get into that, common practice really these days in Christianity across the world is baptism has become a variety of things to different people. Some go for immersion, some go for pouring, some go for sprinkling and some other adds other bits and pieces um, depending on what group you happen to belong to. So for example, um, Catholic baptism tends to be either pouring or immersion. Um, The Anglicans tend to go for sprinkling or immersion and signs of cross and all that sort of stuff. But The question really is, which is correct? And does it matter? Does it matter which one we do? So I want to have a look at that um, in the New Testament. And uh, there's going to be a little bit of overlap between what Craig um, did last week. um, And that's deliberately because of part of what the way we're looking at this. So let's start with again the word. And again... um, If you go outside of the New Testament, the word baptism was used to refer to sunken ships. And that's where that idea of submersion comes from. Um, As it's brought into the New Testament, the idea of underwater, buried in something, all right? Water, sunken ship, all right? Um, But when the translators came to that word, they chickened out because by that time it already started to mean different things to different groups. And so instead of actually translating what the word means, what they did was they changed the Greek letters to English. B-A-P-T-I-S-M and we don't need the A, just get rid of that. So baptism is a direct transliteration of the Greek word into English. Why do that? Why not just translate what the word means? Because the advantage of that is that you can now attach whatever meaning you like to that word because, hey, we've just made the word up. But why didn't we do that with the rest of the New Testament? Well, they did it with a few words, but... Why? Why not just translate what the word actually means? And that's been part of the problem with this is that we're dealing with English translations that made up a word rather than translating. And the word actually means to immerse or to submerge. And it has that idea of washing with it as well. Um, And it has both, I've got the verb and the noun up there for those who are into the Greek, those who are not. Don't worry about it. So let's look at some examples of baptism and see what they actually did uh, and how well that fits with what we're translating the word to be. So we'll start off in Matthew 3 and verse 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptised by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptised by you and you're coming to me. 
But Jesus said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us all to fulfil all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptised, Jesus came up immediately from the water and beheld the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So this is when John the Baptist was Jesus came to him to be baptised. And I wanted you to make note of the language that is used. Jesus, after the baptism, came up from the water. He was standing in it. And he came out of that water. Um, Another example we have is in John chapter 3. And after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea and there remained with them and baptised. Now John also was baptising in Aon near um, Salim because there was much water there and they came and were baptised. And again, notice the qualification that um, was given for John. He baptised there, why? Because there was much water. And again, you think about the idea of when he baptised Jesus, where Jesus was in the water and then came on out. You would need much water to get in the water and then come on out. And it's significant for when we're talking about baptism being immersion. If you were sprinkling a few drops on somebody, why do you need much water? You just need a little bowl. Or well, that'll do. Same with pouring. Why do you need much water? Why do you need to get in the water? All right? It fits much better with that idea of immersion. And again, another example in Acts, um, and this one is the Ethiopian who's travelling in the chariot. Uh, and so the, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? And he's reading Isaiah 53. Uh, Then uh, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scriptures preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what hinders me from being baptised? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart you may. And then he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptised him. Now when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. And so again, notice the process. Stopped, went down into the water, baptised, came out of the water. All right? Very um, crude artwork on the idea on the, on the, the other side. But it fits very much with that idea of what does the word mean? The word means to immerse. Right? And that's what they did. They went into the water, got them under the water, came out again. Right? And literally it came out of the water. And the second part there, notice I've, tra- I've translated rather than used the, um, the English word. It means he went down into the water and he was immersed and then he came up out of the water. And it fits with that language that is used in the examples. So both in the examples of Jesus and of the eunuch, you can see they physically were in the water um, and that fits well with that idea of 
the word meaning immerse or submerge. Another example, um, and this one doesn't give you quite as much detail, but again it does highlight the fact um, that they were near a lot of water. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city, to the riverside, where the women were customarily made, uh, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of um, Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to the heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her house were held, were baptised, she begged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded them. And again, notice it was by a river. So again, where, where did they get baptised? Well, river's right next to them. Um, doesn't state much in the actual process um, in that one. It just notes that they were near a river. So just in looking at some of the examples of the usage, you can see that the meaning of the word fits with the practice that they had. But, remember, it's not just about getting wet. When you look at the way it's used in Acts 2, which is when um, baptism for the, in the church started, it says, Therefore, let all of the household of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus, of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. Now one of the things that I used to do when I was a kid was we used to go to the local swimming pool and having two brothers... Dunking each other under the water was a common practice while we were at the swimming pool. Does that mean I was baptised? In the sense of the word, yes, we got submerged in water. But other than that, it's like we got wet. All right? Can you see when we talk about baptism, baptism in the sense that it's used in the New Testament is linked to this idea of conversion and it follows a pattern. That idea of belief and expressing belief, we saw that with um, the eunuch. The confession, um, recognition of sins, repentance, that change of mind and then baptism as a response to that. And when you look at First Peter, First Peter um, ties it directly to um, salvation but notice the way that it's described in First Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, where once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through, Jesus, uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So baptism is a response. It's something that we have considered and therefore do in response to what God has done. So 
it's, it needs to be done in the right context to be other than having a wash. Right? Otherwise, if you duck down in the bath, right, that doesn't save you because it's part of that process. All right? So it's not just that you need to be immersed, but you need to do it in the right process as far as um, to achieve that result of salvation. So it's more than just bathing or washing. It's that response to God um, which now saves us. Now, the other part of this which I want to bring up as part of um, the idea of immersion is when we look at the way baptism is used, particularly, I'm going to focus on Romans in this passage, um, there's a, a spiritual link to Christ in this process. It's not just about us. And you, you see it in, particularly in Romans 6. There's another passage that I'll refer to um, but this is one of the, the key ones that goes through and explains it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Um, and the idea that that question came out of was in the previous chapter where, where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. So the obvious answer is, well, it's sin so that grace abounds even more. Uh, no. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptised into Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So notice that parallel. Jesus physically died on the cross. Us, we've died to that old way of life. Jesus, physically buried. Us, have been Again, buried, but this time in water. Jesus, raised, brought back from the dead. Us, raised, brought back from the dead. Not to live as we used to live, but to live a new life. That idea of we've been raised into a new life. So what we do through our conversion process mirrors what Christ did for us. And we go through that same transformation um, in dead to the old, bury it, and now we come up again and walk in a new life. And so in a diagram, it looks like this. Um, And yes, I know that Jesus was buried in the tomb and it was above ground, but you get the idea. Died, buried, resurrected. Us. Old life died, we died to it, we're buried and we're raised to then to walk in a new life. And just think about it, you don't bury someone by sprinkling a bit of dirt on them. That's not burial, you don't pour a bit of dirt on them, that's not burial. It's that idea of being immersed, put under. Similar sort of idea comes up in Colossians. Um, And this one brings in the idea of circumcision. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, 
buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your, forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which is contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And again, if you remember from your Old Testament history, circumcision was done to males and it was supposed to be a sign that you were God's people. Right? Physical sign, physical people. Here we become circumcised by circumcision not made with hands. We've become God's people, but without any physical chopping bits. Right? And again, notice the link. We put off the old sins, buried with baptism, and then again rise in that new life. So, very similar then into the idea of Romans 6. The difference is he brings in that idea of evangelism, uh, sorry, circumcision um, as part of that. Okay, but again, buried in baptism. So burial, that idea fits very much better with the idea of, of submersion or immersion. All right? And so really we should be translating it immersion or uh, submersion. Uh, and that mirrors that process uh, that Jesus went through and that commitment, therefore, that we make uh, in that life. All right? that we are raised in a newness of life to walk according to the Spirit, to walk according to the light. Okay, that's what the New Testament says. What I want to do is just very quickly reflect on some of the historical practices. So this is post-New Testament writings. So up until about 1311, immersion was commonly practised by the, the Catholic Church. Um, and you can see that uh, there's various references there. I'm not going to go through them all. You can have a look at them in your own time. There's a, uh, a, a writings of this guy. Um, I'm not going to pronounce his name because I'll probably mess it up. But this is dated somewhere between 60 and 100 A.D., and he writes, but concerning baptism, thus shall ye baptize. Having first recited all the things baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit in living water, but if thou hast not living water, then baptize in other water. If not able, then in cold, then in warm. But if you have neither, then pour water on the head thrice in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But before the baptism, let him that baptizes and him that is baptized fast and any other um, also who are able, and thou shalt order him um, that is baptised to fast a day or two before. And, and look, this, again, it's not inspired writings, but you can see that baptism by immersion was the common practice. Right? And pouring on was seen as, a well, there's no water to baptise them in. So this guy, that was his... Um, last case scenario rather than what it was. And again, I, I will point out there is no distinction in the New Testament in the type of water that they got baptised in. There is no living water, there is no uh, warm water, cold water distinctions, etc. Right? But that's just the writings of this man and using it as an example of that was practice. All right? Another one around the 4th century, 
this guy John. Now he's talking, he says, when we immerse our heads in the water, the old humanity is buried as in a tomb below and wholly submerged forever. And I won't read all of it. But again, that idea of immersion, when we immerse. Now he's talking about the head, I don't know whether they did the rest of it, but again, that idea of immersion was common practice in there. So where did things like sprinkling and stuff come from? It's actually a reference to some Old Testament stuff like Isaiah 52. And in here particularly, uh, in verse 15, he talks about, So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. Um, For he has not been told them, they shall see. And what they have not heard, they shall consider. Now, in the Old Testament, sprinkling was part of the sacrifice mechanism. And you think about it in the temple, when the sacrifices were made, and I've got a reference here in Exodus 24, and it says, And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. So that's kind of where it's coming from. It was that cleansing under the Old Testament of things like sprinkling blood on the altar. The problem is, it's a different word. When you look at the translation in the New Testament, it doesn't use the word sprinkling. Yes, it does appear in Hebrews, but in Hebrews, the sprinkling word is done in reference to what was done under the Old Testament and the idea of how the covenant was established under the Old Testament right, by the sprinkling of blood. And so, if you want to use that reference in reference to um, the New Covenant, the New Covenant was also established in blood. Right? But it's got nothing to do with the baptism process. It's a completely different word. All right. The other one that comes up occasionally is Hebrews 9, 8 to 10. And in this one, the last, second last line is translated various baptisms. And again, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was yet made, not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in, both, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament sacrifice system. They had the tabernacle, which was a representation, a shadow of the real one that sits in heaven with God. The stuff they did under the Old Testament, he describes as, cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. Why? Because the Old Testament sacrifices were seen as a temporary thing until the coming of Christ. Read Galatians, talks about that a lot. Right? But the idea of concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances opposed until the time of reformation. So what was the Old Testament sacrifices about? Foods, drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances. It's not a reference to baptism, New Testament baptism. It's a reference to what they were doing in the Old Testament practice. 
And again, the word is different. Here it is actually used of ceremonial washing, the purification that the priests had to go through as part of their Old Testament sacrifices. So again, it's a reference to what was done under the Old Testament. So you can't translate that word immerse because it's not the same word. It's washing, right? So under the New Testament... It's different to what they did under the Old Testament and so it's not valid to sort of pull things out of the Old Testament and say, well, we can do that over here because that's not what the word means uh, and it's the distinction between the old and the new. So, in conclusion, the definition of the word is to immerse, to submerge, etc. Right? That's what the word means and that's what it should have been translated as. Baptism requires both parties to be physically in the water and the baptism is done where there was much water. And again, that reference to burial, it is part of that spiritual link that we have to the death of Christ. We died, we are buried in baptism, we are raised in newness of life. And it was the common practice among the early church was immersion, which is what the word means. All right? And that's what was commanded.